thank you all for coming today. It's, um, it's always really a wonderful opportunity to, to sit together and um, realize the um, oh no worries yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it's um, not an easy thing to do to to, to sit in in, in, uh, in meditation on our own on a regular basis and so when we come together as a group it just um, we 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 support each other and we inspire each other to continue the practice and and uh, there's always something special about coming together to share the energy and um, even though we may be uh, relating in silence there's still uh, an energy that's communicated Zen um, Zen Buddhism is one of the great uh, non-dual uh, wisdom traditions. There are others, uh, such as Vedanta, and uh, you probably find the non-dual wisdom traditions in most religions. And um, so, when we come together in zazen, we're seeking to realize that non-dual wisdom, to awaken it, and. Um, In many ways, you can think of, uh, of uh, Zen as, as being a way in which we can, or Zazen, the sitting meditation practice, as being a way of aligning ourselves with reality, with a capital R. And, um, and how that's a very simple thing to do, but a very difficult thing to do, because uh, most human beings find it difficult to align themselves with the reality of this moment. And um, we could probably summarize, um, you know, psychological suffering, the suffering that uh, is referred to in Buddhism as dukkha, um, as being suffering that arises when we separate ourselves from reality. And we do that in very many different ways, but we can basically break those down possibly into two categories and uh, or even one really. so it's the sense in which reality is simply just being the reality of this moment uh, and uh, the, uh, the the fleeing from reality is the is the what we often find ourselves uh, habitually doing without even uh, thinking about it um, and uh, so Zazen is a practice which is um, one of the best sort of practices that's been invented um, to facilitate human beings practicing to be with reality to f and when we be with reality we're opening up to our true self um, and the um, last fortnight I was talking about um, 
the, the this, this 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 poem we just uh, we, we just recited uh, by Hakuin, who's an 18th century Zen master, uh, in praise of Zazen, and um, and this poem in praise of Zazen is basically saying that the whole of Zen practice uh, is has its origins and its source in, in Zazen and everything that comes from that comes from our practice of Zazen and um, and it, it has some beautiful metaphors about how we uh, we're so near the truth yet how far we seek and um, one of the, the most difficult parts of, of uh, probably the, what we need to get most clarity about is the, um, how we work with thoughts and beliefs and um, so I mentioned earlier on how we can actually see thoughts as being um, impersonal uh, in the same way that uh, the sound of raindrops um, when we're sitting, sounds are particularly good meditation objects. The um, Master Hakuin um, um, had a lot of his uh, enlightenment experiences through sound, through uh, being awakened and hearing the sound of a distant temple bell which just passed through him and then opened him up. Uh, that, that, that awoke this uh, the non-dual reality, uh, and um, so in, um, I always enjoy sitting in the rain because it's just a gentle, just a gentle sound of the raindrops. But cars going past are a lovely way to use as an object to awaken, wake us up. That's reality. The sound of the car is Buddha, and. Um, uh, so mo most sounds are, are really good meditation objects. But TVs are not that great, you know, when you're, if you're sitting in your lounge room trying to meditate and there's a TV going on or a conversation going on, they can be a bit distracting, but, but most of the time sounds are pretty good. And most of the time sounds are um, um, something we can really open up to. Body sensations are a little bit more difficult um, at times because um, we all have had different experiences with the body. Some may have been pleasurable, some not so pleasurable. And uh, so sometimes um, really um, um, embracing our body sensations and befriending our body sensations. Because um, remember, this whole practice is about um, coming from our center and uh, that center of no self or love. Because no self has. Um, Many different words in Zen, and many different. There's been the experience of no self. It's been. It goes by many different names. It could be true self. Um, it could be the person of no no rank. Um, it could be original face. Or maybe we could simply call it love. You know, big love with a capital L, not personal love, but the sense in which fear disappears and we're just totally at one, non-separate. And um, so, body sensations is a way of practicing no-self as well. 
Um, but it's extremely difficult to do, like just be with our body sensations. If you can be with body sensations for a few seconds, you're doing quite well. Um, and by that I mean just really simply just experiencing those, whatever the sensations are, the sensations of breathing, the little aches and pains, and uh, just, just really allowing ourselves to use our body sensations as a gateway into that non-separate reality. And every time we do that, and we do that over and over again, thousands and thousands and thousands of times in this practice, we're just gradually chipping away at, uh, at, our, uh, at our ego self. Because um, the, the journey of Zen is from an ego-centered self, like we say in our, the chant, called in a self-centered dream. It's moving from the dream to reality, which is reality of no self. And, um, you know, ego simply is the Latin word for I, but ego kind of like represents the our sense of separateness. And whenever we um, buy into um, and believe uh, a thought uh, that is not in alignment with reality, uh, such as, this is not fair, I wish this wasn't the case, we're already restarting the whole process of suffering, generating suffering. And uh, so when we actually embrace ourselves and our body, through our body sensations, and for a few seconds maybe there's no thought present, then we're actually experiencing non-self at that moment. And we're fully being and non-separate with, with our experience, our direct experience of this moment. So that, that practice is really important. And then, and then seeing when we get attached to a thought or a belief. Um, the attachment that we're concerned about in Zen is not, it's not really, uh, it's not about the attachment that arises between um, um, a husband and a wife or, or partners. Um, or the attachment that arises between a parent and a child. The attachment we're concerned about in Zen is our attachment to our, our believed thoughts. And um, so, and as soon as we believe a thought, it often generates an emotion. So you could almost call the whole thing thought-emotion, both in arising at the same time. And thoughts are where that you find the, the ego. And, um, it's our identification with the whole superstructure of thoughts and beliefs which creates our identity and creates our sense of separate self. And, uh, and the separate self is always on the lookout. You know, the, the, the role of the separate self is one really one of protection. And, uh, and uh, hence um, we're often experiencing the, 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 the barriers that the separateness set, sets up. All we, we bump into our barriers through the ego-centered emotions that we experience, whether that be um, whether that's um, pride or shame or anger or anxiety, all these kinds of ego-centered emotions that we experience are compassionate wake-up calls to let us know that we've we've gone into separateness. 
So to work with thoughts in our, in our practice is really, really a very central component of the practice. And, um, and to really see what happens when we, when we get caught in a thought and what is the emotional reaction that follows and to start to see that not just in our practice but also in our everyday life. And as with everything, you know, working with thoughts, we want to meet every thought and every emotional reaction with, with, with friendliness, with compassion. Um, I mean, the, most of the work, what Joko Beck describes, is moving from a relative unhappiness to a relative happiness. And we move from relative unhappiness to relative happiness through this work of starting to love and befriend ourselves. How we are, how we are manifesting moment by moment, and uh, starting to meet our thoughts with understanding, and uh, and um, so eventually, as we as we start to as this, as this as this work deepens, it becomes possible to actually thoughts to be experienced in the same way as we experience sounds or sensations or. So this idea of thoughts just arising like bubbles and then disappearing, these little energy bubbles. And um, we, we, we just see them as thoughts and we don't have to uh, get attached to them. And uh, so our brain will, you know, that's what brains do. I mean, the, way, the same way as which the body breathes, the, the brain thinks. And uh, we have no control over that process. And so we're not trying to stop our thoughts. We're just seeing through the thoughts and uh, that's where the freedom comes so that we're no longer grasping and believing the thought and then, uh, then we can see that we can drop that thought you know? so we have a thought that um, I wish I was somewhere else, I wish I had something you know? Whether that, you know, wh wh however that manifests that this is not fair, this is, I wish things were different all those thoughts will generate suffering when we buy into them uh, like, when we see them just as thoughts, they will drop away, and what's left is just reality. It's just the car going past, our breathing, the body sensations. The thing is, um, as, as as human beings, we're educated not to appreciate this sense of no self, this sense of universal self. Um, it goes unnoticed and unappreciated. Hence, uh, people often are not, don't know it. You know, like in the, in the poem, it talks about the parable of the, uh, the son who, um, when it talks about the, um, the um, in the poem about a, uh, a child of rich birth wandering poor on this earth, it's a, that's a reference to a, a sutra, a sutra called the Lotus Sutra. The sutras were the teachings that were recorded of the Buddha and uh, if you like Buddhist scriptures and um, in that parable the, uh, the idea of this, this son wanders off and becomes a beggar and, uh, uh, and his father was a wealthy landowner and, um, and for 50 years, 50 years later his father recognizes him wandering as a beggar in the street but the son doesn't recognize the father and uh, Hence, the father sends out some servants to uh, in, uh, to go and invite the son back, and the son's still a bit afraid. He thinks they might be enforcing him into forced labor or something. But eventually, he 
comes and starts to work on his father's property and and his father um, uh, assigns him and, and gives him his freedom and he starts to work and, and, and the, you know, the story goes on and eventually the father and the son get to start to get to know each other so it's this idea of the father realizing that he has to do some intermediate kind of work and uh, it's almost but it's almost like in the story that the the son has this 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 phobia this this fear of the father so if you take the father as symbolizing no self or true self or love or reality is this idea in which then there's this sort of this this integrative process or this intermediate process where the, the son gradually starts to trust and get to know the father and uh, and we do that through starting to get to know all the nooks and crannies of our different you know, selves, our different ego selves, our fears, our anxieties, our anger, our, uh, our shame, and, and starting to do the work with that. And, um, and then gradually over time, the thoughts and the beliefs, uh, we start to be able to just poke some holes in them, so they're less compelling. And we start to start to appreciate the reality of this moment. And, uh, and we start the appreciation of life, of just being alive, which again is not taught, you know, and people are not educated to necessarily experience being alive unless, I guess, one has a, uh, a near-death experience or something like that. So where one actually starts to appreciate, genuinely appreciate each moment of being alive. Most of the time we're not interested in that. We just want to, we want to get on doing the next thing or... Um, uh, you know, planning our future so that somehow we're going to, we're always sort of wanting, you know, we're going to be happy at some point in the future, but never now. And, um, and so we spend our lives in dramas or in entertainment and we never really appreciate just this moment. So Zazen is a wonderful practice. Um, not easy to do though, so really acknowledge yourself uh, for being, uh, being drawn to this practice. Um, not everybody's going to do this practice. And, you know, and maybe there are other ways of realizing the truth and realizing reality. But Zazen has been around for a long time, you know, maybe 3,000 years. It's a very tried and tested and, 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 and method that um, no one can do it for you. You have to taste it for yourself. But it's, it's, um, it's been around for a long time. And um, so... Um, uh, so, yeah. so congratulations everybody for coming along today and um, enjoy the, the, uh, the rest of your time here. Uh, so we'll just sit for another five minutes or so, then we'll do another walking period and then during the final sitting period, um, if anybody wants to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me, we do that outside on the veranda. So, so please sit.